Dady Lady. The Book Club of Love. Hey, Vera Elizabeth. Hi, Barbara Ann. Hi. <coughs> do you want me to keep that? Yeah, no, please do, because it, it's a good segue into what I wanted to talk about today. What do you want to talk about today? Well, what I wanted to talk about was when I first met my husband, Blaine, 23 years ago, he had three cats. And you and I are very allergic to cats. Mm-hmm. And a couple months into our relationship, um, I said, because your apartment is full of cats, and there's cats everywhere, and there's cat hair everywhere, mm-hmm. and cat poo is in the box and cat vomit is on you know a lot everywhere yeah i think you should give your cats away and how did that go over uh, he said i think i should give you away <laughs> oh, no. yeah the cats weren't going anywhere so i stuck with the cats and i actually really loved the cats yeah it was calvin thurston and the yeah, other one that the other one remember <laughs> simon what was the last one theodore no what was the last one alvin no calvin thurston jethro Oh my God. Okay. Anyway. Wow. That's weird. Um, and you know, one by one they died. Yeah. And I was really, really sad. But when they were alive, I couldn't breathe in his apartment. And then we got in a place together and I couldn't breathe there either. And you know, the allergies did get less, but the asthma never went away. Mm -hmm. Um, and then when they died, we didn't get more cats because I wanted to be pregnant and I didn't want to be on medication. Right. So I had a nice reprieve. Yeah. Why do I say that? Because Lo and behold, my son really wanted a cat. Yeah. And we were going to wait until we moved and got like, you know, a bigger place and blah, blah, blah. But then a week before Christmas, Blaine takes me aside and says, look, I've been talking to your mom, which he has never said before to me in my life. I've <laughs> been talking to your mom and we've decided that we really think all- your child needs a cat. And I said, okay, fine. I'm not going to keep fighting this. Yeah. And then like, I don't know, like 20 minutes later, he just leaves um, with like a cat carrier in his hand. And I did not realize that he had gone and gotten a cat and brought it over to my mom's, who's also your mom. And we had, I did not know we had a cat. We had a cat. A cat was at my mom's waiting to be presented on Christmas, and now we have a cat. So what I wanted to say was I am back to not breathing. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that, Vera. Well, I wanted to say this because um, this is a reality of being married. Sometimes there's things that are a part of your life that you have to find a way to deal with, and this is a huge one for me. Yeah. How are you coping with it? Well, it's been a huge conversation and we've made the kind of changes that we didn't make the first time around. There's a lot more cleaning. Mm-hmm. Cat cannot be in the bedroom. Mm-hmm. Here's a big one. Uh, cat shit boxes can't be in the kitchen. Where do you keep the litter box? <laughs> in Back in his office. You know, yeah. there's like, there's a lot of stuff that's different this time around. Yeah. It's great for me to see that, you know, a decade later, a decade past the last death of the cat. Yes, we can probably integrate them back into our lives because my husband loves cats and my son loves cats. Yeah. But it's wonderful for me to see that there are changes being made. We're not just going back to the same thing. Um, that said, I'm making my own change, which is I just went to an allergist who you have also been to, right? Yeah. We have all the same doctors, don't we? I think we recommend them to each other. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to go on weekly allergy shots yeah for months months and months and probably the rest of my life and it's it's that's a big thing (coughs) sounds like a nightmare to me i'll be perfectly (laughs) honest with you it's not great it's not great and you know my instagram is filled with pictures of this little kitten like rolling around and looking little and well that sounds great yeah the reality is like uh, lisa was asking me about my cat and i'm like oh yeah i can't breathe she's like what oh yeah Sorry, Lisa. My Instagram life is a lot different than my real life. Right. Yeah. Right, yeah. So 
So what? So there was a study that came out really recently about I think it was about how large animals can give humans uh, th- there's the same benefit as being in a relationship mm-hmm. like horses and dogs mm-hmm. oh i'm really allergic to horses right <laughs> my doctor said i can't have a, a horse in the house he was very specific <laughs> about that one so i would imagine that extent like if you're a little boy a little cat is probably a large animal to you yes um and you've talked about how your son has difficulty at school connecting with people and it's a big deal for you and your family i'm wondering if this animal being there for your son, you know, makes some of your suffering worth it in that respect. Barbara, it is incredible to see the way he treats this little cat because he treats the cat the way that I treat him. So in that way, it's incredibly gratifying. He picks up this cat. He cuddles this cat. He, this cat's his baby. You know, Uh it's really beautiful to see. It's like a baby doll to him. I mean, he needs to be, (sighs) look, I was trying to get rid of a bunch of stuff. I had a pair of pregnancy pants. Okay. Uh-huh. Stretch pants, and I said I don't want these anymore. And and my son said, "Oh wait, let me. Can I have them?" And I said, "Sure, okay, you can have them." Ten minutes later, he's walking around with the cat in his pregnancy pants. <gasps> Whoa, really? <laughs> did he make that connection? <laughs> he did. He looked like a little kangaroo. I'm not sure the cat was happy. Wait, the cat was in the pants. The cat was in the pants, like in his belly. Yes, he like oh, yes, he was walking around with these pregnancy pants that are way too big for him with the cat in the pregnancy part wow wow he's really connecting with this little guy huh he is and i can see that my husband is also very very happy that we have a little soft loving creature yeah and i do love cats they they're really wonderful little guys and they reflect your personality you know when people say i don't like cats or cats are assholes you know what you're saying yeah you're an asshole yeah you know so yes it's very beneficial for my child i'm making sacrifices left and right but we're doing things differently this time yeah little little update there okay little update cool keep us posted yeah again single privilege barb right you don't need a cat in your home because you don't want a cat in your home right yeah i mean it's i i do yeah that's true um i was at your house no i wasn't at your house you brought a dress over (laughs) here to my house yeah that i tried on and my skin got itchy and i was like is there is this covered in gnats or fleas <laughs> and it's like we, i think we have a hyper allergenic cat cool yeah yeah I uh, mean, yeah i was i couldn't breathe because some fur got on the inside of the dress somehow i don't know yeah couldn't have been much it, no, i didn't see anything no but yeah that for me or or you know one time i went over to lisa's house we're sitting outside in the backyard and i was freezing she gave me a blanket and like five ten minutes into it, i'm like something's happening to me and i realized well you know what the interesting thing is i go to lisa's house every single week and i sit on her cat i sit on you her do? cat yeah i do that is interesting it actually. is <laughs> <laughs> i sit on her couch and sometimes the well, a cat will sit on my head or she has three cats a yeah. cat will sit on my lap I don't feel anything mm-hmm. when I go over there. I feel okay because I think I've gotten used to the cats. But this kitten, um, because it's so s- little, it runs around and just basically it's just having like a dander party, yeah. you know, just like it's running. It's everywhere. It's in, I'm trying to sew. It's in my fabric. I'm putting on clothes. It's on my dress. It's, you know, it's, uh, it's absolutely everywhere. So it's really a perfect storm of me being unable to breathe. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, can I ask you a personal question? No. Let's hear it. Well, you and I talked a little bit about this before. Uh-huh. And you're you're thinking that there actually are different kinds of cats with their different kinds of dander. And you expressed frustration that there was no research put into what kind of cat was going to be brought home. Yes. It bothered you a lot. It did. How has that? That was a couple of weeks ago. And you took it personally. 
I was angry when yeah. I talked to you about it. I was yeah. I was really pissed because it was really early on. It was like maybe the first or second week of the cat. And it's like, I kind of just woke up one morning realizing like, oh, fuck. Like, here's the thing. Like, I cannot sit in my living room with a blanket, like period. Like, yeah. I can do that. The blanket's never going to go back into the bedroom. The bedroom now has become like the sterile space as much, yeah. as, as, much as it possibly can be. My, my lifestyle is a little different now. Like I have them change in the office. They cannot bring their clothes into the bedroom anymore. You know, it's a little weird, yeah. but it's, it's the lens that we have to go to. None of this was implemented the first time around. So for me, it feels like a step forward. Uh-huh. The ca- three cats That's slept crazy. in the bed. Yeah. I know, insane. So, okay, so now you're looking at the positives that have come up from this. Well, I'm sort of, I'm in the acceptance phase, yeah. you know. I mean, we obviously got a rescue, you know. There's not that many types of cats that are less allergenic. I mean, and I don't even know if that's completely, completely a thing that would even matter. It's like Russian blue cats maybe have a little less careless cats rex no what are those mink no no minks have no tail rex sphinx 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 yeah. you know t-rexes <laughs> t-rexes c-rexes c-rexes um they the hairless kind don't have the dander but they do have a lot of oil and they need special cleaning and all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff i wasn't expecting they need, that. They need polishing they need polishing every day it was one that my complaint about not researching the cat was sort of, it, I, I think it was a teeny bit, and I'm not trying to make excuses, a teeny bit unrealistic if you're going to go try and find mm-hmm. a rescue cat, especially since he wanted one who seemed to like him. You know, uh-huh. c- cats do have personalities. But yeah, I was I was pissed and I was definitely looking for anything that I could be even more pissed about. Interesting. Yeah, but thank you for bringing that up. It's true. Yeah. So, so that's that's where I'm at. Okay. How are now? What's going on with you, Barbara? Do you have any un- unwanted animals in your home? <laughs> I, and I do. I love the cat. The cat's beautiful. He is sweet, and it's very sweet to see them together. Yeah. Well, speaking of animals and love. Yeah. We are on to chapter seven of Heartbreak: A Personal and Scientific Journey by Florence Italy. Nope. Um, <laughs> would you like me to read a little s- some synopses of the chapters so we know we're, what we're getting into? Sure. So we know what we're diving right into. No. Okay. Chapter seven is called Heartbreak Hotel, Mm -hmm. and we're covering grief in this one. Florence examines the world of behavioral neuroscientist Zoe Donaldson, who conducts super depressing experiments with pair bonding prairie voles Mm. to study the brain chemistry of persistent bereavement. Persistent bereavement is like um, chronic sads. Also, Ennis is still up to his harem, his head harem bullshit. Okay. Chapter eight is called Welcome to the Aeromocene, is called Welcome to the Aeromocene, Aero, Aero and Space Museum. Mm-hmm. And this one's about attachment. Um, the Aeromocene is like the, is the, is the age of loneliness. It's not like it, it is. It means the age of loneliness. Oh. Um, so is that a literary term? What is that? It's like a, you know, like how any era, any age has seen at the end. Okay. Yeah. Like plasticine? Yeah, exactly. Obscene? Mm-hmm. All those things. Okay. She takes a closer look at attachment in children, notably Harry Hall- Harlow's cloth mother wire mother experiment. Have you heard of that one before? We've been talking about that for ages, I haven't know. we? Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, she also dates a mountain man, and um, she connects social isolation to violence, aggression, and fear. Mm-hmm. Chapter nine: Your cells are listening. This is a chapter about emotions and the immune system. Flo is given a surprising heartbreak-related health diagnosis. And spoiler: You ready for this one? Yeah. Chronic loneliness increases early death risk by 26%, similar to obesity and smoking. Um, Mm. But social connectedness improves health. So that's where we're at, those three chapters. 
So would you like to start? Yeah, let me take a look, look see at my notesies. Um, you know, I'm going to start. Okay. Um, I'm just going to say Ennis. Ennis keeps poking at her, keeps calling her, texting. Oh, I miss you. Fucking Ennis. He wants to know. He, he has a vision of himself as a Boy Scout. She brings up the famous Dan Savage analogy of the campground rule, which is you should leave any person that you're involved with better than how you found them. You know, like a campground, you don't go there, piss everywhere, throw your garbage and take off. You mm-hmm. clean up after you're done, you know? Mm-hmm. You tidy up. He wants to be the Boy Scout. He wants to feel that he's a Boy Scout. He's been a Boy Scout. He's served that purpose in Florence's life. And I agree that he acted exactly like a 12-year-old boy. (laughs) You know? He just keeps fucking doing the head hair and bullshit. It's like he just keeps kind of messaging hey I'm, I'm still here you're yeah. still here right you're, you're still here you're still That's here right thing. you're available still right i mean my harem like i gotta keep you around right because i didn't i didn't put in all that effort into losing somebody in my head harem right right yeah yeah, yeah. okay um, yeah, I mean, the stuff about Ennis, I just have boring. You know, that's an Ennis match that she lost. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Shut the fuck up, Bura. <laughs> and it's zero and love or something, right? I don't know that much about tennis. It's but that's zero, zero. There's no love. <laughs> no love. Know, okay. Yeah. Um, she says that it's she... It's a racket, Barbara. The whole thing was it a racket. It is a racket, yeah. Okay. All right. Stop looking at me. <laughs> Um, yeah, she says she anticipates and dreads those calls. Man, I know that. I know that feeling, though. It's like it's not to take a dark turn, but I was reading up on some uh, the most recent Marilyn Manson allegations. Mm. And there's I read this whole article about uh, a Jane Doe mm-hmm. and a description of when they met and how she kept in touch with him over years. Yeah. And I got I don't know what the details were in this particular article that that I so related to. But the very first time they met, it was bad. Mm-hmm. And there's this thing like everyone asks, I mean, every dumb fuck asks, why did they keep going back? Why did they you know, if, if it was such a bad experience, why didn't they, uh, why did they continue to contact that person? And there's an element where it's like, if you're abused or you have a bad experience or you meet Ennis and he plays fucking guitar for you <laughs> and then they, that person goes away, you're left with this void of like, I have no control over what just happened. Mm-hmm. I can't, I have no access to that person. I'm just sitting there with these awful feelings. So you want to reconnect to regain some, some of control. that some you, control. You back. also yeah. are hoping maybe to keep writing the story you can't rewrite the story if he's gone if right you, if yeah. he's still there then you can sort of keep the cha- may ho- hope hope to change the narrative maybe yes. this is different yeah if we're in a relationship then clearly he's not my rapist or abuser or whatever because we're friends we're friends right you know and, and he may apologize he may like i may see this i may you know you can gain the upper hand in certain life situations you know but with um what like no no no, absolutely a a million i mean i could think of a million different like the fucker at the job who was rude to me you know five years later he's the person who i say don't hire you know whatever it's like it's there's that kind of stuff that happens and yeah anyway so i can see that she doesn't want to let this go because then she's just left with those then she she's left with uh the memory of having uh, what's a tom petty song i can't even think right now can't even think the one where that they shot in the um sherman oaks gallery free fall she'd be free falling (laughs) okay um okay so then let's go on to the um let's go on to the prairie voles 
The what? The prairie voles. Oh, the prairie voles. Okay, wait, is that the still, is this, is that the still chapter? Um, Barbara? Yes, it's uh, on page 85. The University of Colorado, it turns out, is a kind of heartbreak hotel. And she, yes, as you mentioned, Zoe Donaldson is a behavioral neuroscientist. Mm-hmm. And so prairie voles are monogamous. Some, sometimes they wander, but generally they stay together. So she studies them because they elucidate the neurochemistry of love attachment and monogamy. Mm-hmm. Donaldson basically studies grief yeah. and what we what happens on a cellular level when we experience heartbreak. She gives the the statistic that there are 10 to 15% of divorced people who just get sicker and more depressed as time goes on and roughly the same percentage who experience that what a psychologist call complicated grief yeah. after the death of a loved one. That's the persistent bereavement disorder. Yeah, that's prolonged sadness, yearning, and longing, a sense of disbelief and difficulty accepting the death of a loved one. Mm-hmm. So prairie voles are inveterate snugglers with their mates and their pups. They even console each other during stressful times, piling on top of each other, hugging, nuzzling, licking and grooming on the internet there are pictures of voles hugging and they slay me (sighs) i had an experience this last weekend i had a very rough weekend with the kids Thursday night, one of them puked. Oh, so sad. He was not feeling well. He was like burning up. He had a fever. He came into my bed. I was hugging him. And then he goes, and then just pukes all over the bed. Mm. And then he's going, I can't believe I puked in a bed. I can't believe it. (laughs) Um, You're six. You're supposed to do that. He didn't want, he didn't want to puke in a bed. And, but for me, I was like, I got you because all my beds are, have three layers of, you know, wetness. uh, Protection. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Ew. That's like a, what is that? A, Um, uh, pad, pad, menstrual yeah. pad. Um, anyway, so that was my third. Like, so then they're all home Friday, and we couldn't go anywhere. And then uh, Saturday, by Saturday night, I was losing my shit. Mm-hmm. And they were, they, they, they all play Minecraft together now. Yay! They sit next to each other on their tablets. So in real life, they fight and pick on each other. And then in Minecraft, <laughs> they do the exact same thing. They're like blowing up each other's houses and shit. So it's like, so I was losing it. Mm-hmm. And um, by the time we laid down in bed, I was just like, they wouldn't give me back their iPads, whatever. And I took them and threw them onto my bed and they could tell I was pissed. Mm-hmm. So every night we do this thing after we read where I sing little baby to them and it's a song I would sing to them in the hospital yeah. in the NICU uh-huh. uh it's a it's you know it's a specific song that I sing little and then the name of the kid da, 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 da. and they all like it I hold them in my arms like little babies and I pet them wherever they like they'll say my feet or my face or whatever mm-hmm. and one of them knew registered how pissed I was because he did little mommy <gasps> oh okay <laughs> And he, he was petting my leg or whatever yeah. and singing the song to that to me that I sang to them in the NICU when I didn't know if they were going to live or not. Oh. And the lights were off and I'm glad because I just started crying. Yeah. Because your child was parenting you. Well, it wasn't that though. Um, I You know, because I was saying, oh, you don't have to and all that stuff. Ugh, I want to cry just thinking about it now. It's the first time I've been like a human has pet me or like mm. no Barbara I know it's like it's you know because I hug them a lot yeah and I think that's what that's what it you know that's what affection is yeah but that's me giving them affection yeah and to have someone oh Barbara <laughs> oh what are you feeling um it was just a feeling I hadn't felt in a very long time yeah 
I just reminded it just really illuminated how much I'm missing real affection from someone. Yeah. Oh Barbara. <sighs> wow, I was not expecting to cry talking about this now. Anyway, I just I don't know, I think it's just it's so important. Yeah. Oh twenty. I don't know. For all the people that are missing it in their lives, yeah, you have every right to miss it. Yeah. It's oh. it can't be underestimated how how powerful it is. Anyway, Jenny, pet your foot. No, 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 yes. no, no, no! Don't touch me. <laughs> Get away. Um. Get away. <laughs> no, I mean that's that's part of it though. Is like, no, I don't know. No, finish your yeah. thought. Just it was. He wanted. He wanted to. You know. I don't know. He don't wanted know. to take care of you. Yeah. Yeah. Like so many kittens and in pregnancy pants. Yeah. Yeah. Vera, it's it's important. All that stuff is. Yeah. Yeah. You told me to get away like, <laughs> when I tried to pick up. Yeah, because you're like you had this like hand that looked like the <laughs> prosthetic in Norseman, like with pointy yeah. stretched out fingers yeah. and then you're like poking my leg. Well I think it was like the spoon hand. Right? Yeah. Okay. No stick hand. It freak it freaked me out. Okay, sorry. Anyway, so uh Bibi, you don't want to sit with those feelings for just a second? No. Okay. No. All right. Uh I will later. Okay. Okay. So you you go. Me? Yeah. Um, a couple things I've underlined. I was really interested in the complicated grief for a couple different reasons. I mean, I think our dad maybe had some complicated grief after his breakup with their mom. You know, I didn't yeah. really know that they're separate kinds before. She, let's see, complicated grief, sometimes called persistent bereavement disorder, is characterized by prolonged sadness, yearning, and longing, a sense of disbelief and difficulty in accepting the death of a loved one. Is it? Did you already read that? Thing? Yeah, but that's okay. okay. <laughs> it's, uh, obviously, it didn't sink in. <laughs> Well, um, uh, people with this condition may compulsively avoid reminders of their loved one and yet also be stuck ruminating over aspects of the loss. It's as if the loss just happened over and over again. Mm. Um, so, I mean, I could keep reading, but it seems uh, it, people tend to get diagnosed if they still feel acute grief after six to 12 months. Yeah, she, she doesn't give a reason here. I think it's just a different, it's a different kind of, if it's a, it's a different grief. You know, I think about the kind of grief I have over Amy passing away, for example, um, compared to like my dad. My dad had cancer for a very long time, but he was also in his 70s. And I felt like there was a natural, something natural about passing away. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think about my dad I with sadness, but also with a lot of joy. Yeah. When I think about Amy, I still don't have that joy. I only have a brief respite from my anger and sadness yeah. by knowing that you know the person who took her will probably spend the rest of his life in jail but th that's that that there is no like I don't feel better I don't feel any better yeah. you know I picked up a book on grieving after Amy like I, you know I was just out of my mind like what do I do pick mm -hmm. up a book on grieving I've never done that before yeah I started reading it there's nothing in there for people who are murdered it's not no it, it's totally una unnatural it's unnecessary yeah. there's just so many things so yeah you know um yeah so uh Oh, in an fMRI brain image imaging studies of humans suffering complicated grief, the nucleus accumbens is unusually active while looking at pictures of lost loved ones. So there you go. So it's a part of the brain. Okay. That's just uh, over overreactive. They so they look at the brains of these voles. Mm -hmm. um, they do these experiments. She does these experiments where they like separate them and then like bring one back just to see like what, what like sometimes they reunite them after forty eight hours. Sometimes it's two months. Like they, just all these different very horrible things. Yeah, really terrible. So she's she wrote that um, there's one interesting finding worth mentioning. In all paired males, regardless of whether they were laid or split up or not, their brains made more of the stress generating machinery, the CRF, than the never paired. 
Hmm. And, and so this is now experiments by Bosch. Is that the guy from the Netflix show? <laughs> it is. Oliver Bosch. Yes. Oliver Bosch. So why would the brains of those in love rev up all that ammunition just to sit idly by? But then they learn that the oxytocin from mating keeps the CRF in a quiet state, unless that is the bonds of love are broken and the oxytocin molecules dry up. Remarkably, it looks like the enhanced stress machines are there precisely to respond to heartbreak, even in effect to create it, Bosch believes. Because as much as it hurts, the misery is intended to be adaptive. It drives us to reconnect with our lost partner after brief separations, and it keeps us coming back home. Here's the deal. Pair bonding, love, call it what you will, changes the brain. It changes it in some permanent ways that make us more sensitive to both joy and woe. It gives us a sense of something to lose. Yeah, that brought to mind uh, the Tennyson, it's better to have loved and lost and never to have loved at all. No, it makes it harder not to be an unpoetic lady. But once you start loving, you're going to need more. You're going to be very sad if you lose that love. I mean, you can justify it, but your brain was better off. Are you being facetious? Kind of, yeah. Yeah, yeah I am. Yeah. There's a happy note towards the end, yeah. which is um, suggests that perhaps you can get over breakups and heartbreak if you enhance your social your social life. Yes. Yeah. Then we're on chapter eight. Welcome to the Aramacene. Yeah. Aramacene. And this is about attachment. What would you want to say about this, Barbara? Well, can, can I read you some stuff I like? Yeah. My husband was gone and Ennis was clamping about eight other nipples. So much yearning, so much unseemly adolescent self-involvement, daydreaming, journaling, wanting to lie around and listen deeply to music and tell all my friends exactly what was going on. It's tempting to dismiss the mistiness of this time as juvenile spaciness, but there's something to it. It was about the process of becoming. I love this. Yeah. Because this is, well, this, first of all, this is the opposite of the chronic bereavement, you know. So I understand if not everybody goes through stuff like this, but I do remember going through stuff like this after breakups where you just kind of took it slow and just went into yourself and yeah. journaled and just really took time to be you, even though there was sadness and stuff like that. This is the beauty part of breakups. She says it sometimes felt uh, beautiful and special. If you are going through a breakup, this is the part that I look forward to in loss. Yeah. I know it sounds weird to say that, but... Where you focus on yourself. Yeah, when you focus on yourself and you go, okay, well, what was I before this? And yeah. what and what can I be now? Yeah. You know? There was a quote from Claire Bidwell-Smith on uh, grief. Mm -hmm. she, or she says the missing stage of grief is anxiety. Yeah. And she says the fear is not what is lost in her book in Blue Nights after the death of her daughter. What is lost is already in the wall. What is lost is already behind the locked door. The fear is for what is still to be lost. That was Claire? Oh, no, I'm sorry. No, it wasn't. Was it? <laughs> so here's a quote from Joan Didion. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> um, I was going to say. No, but Claire... Claire Smith with the bid will in the middle. Yeah. She's the one who says that anxiety is the missing stage of grief. Okay. Um, <laughs> thank you, Vera. You're welcome. Uh, oh, uh, there, she has a thing about swearing, which I was like, yes, because I swear when I get really frustrated with the kids. Yeah. I swear. And they don't give a fuck, but it's, it it's really helpful it's for me. really helpful. Yeah. And I'm sure no, like if anyone overheard me, and they will at a certain point because I've started doing it like in the driveway, like, fuck. <laughs> But yeah, it helps to yeah. say fuck. Um, it does. And it's just a word. <laughs> yeah, it's just a word. It's just a word. I'm, I'm staring straight at the... What the, page? It's page 101 about mm -hmm. the cloth-covered co monkey doll and the wired-covered doll, the metal wire doll. Guys, if you if you don't know about the cloth mother, wire mother experiment, well, I'm just going to read it real quick. Okay. This is about... um. What's his first name? Harry Harlow. Mm-hmm. <sighs> 
Harlow's research employed rhesus meckes, who, like humans, are... Is that how you say that? We don't know how to say anything, do we? No, we we? don't. We really don't. (laughs) Can you say monkey instead? Harlow's research employed little monkeys who, like humans, are not just just social but hypersocial. In his most famous and infamous experience of the 1950s, damn, they got away with a lot of shit in the 50s, I'm just going to (laughs) say. Harlow and his colleagues placed newborn meckes in a confined space with either a cloth-covered monkey doll or a, a metal wire doll. In both cases, the babies grew up damaged. Great. Lacking social intelligence, unable to play or mate or function normally once they return to their monkey groups. Um, God damn it. Yeah. So uh, in one set of experiments, Harlow placed a newborn with both doll models, but only wire mama held a full bottle of milk. Proving wrong, the theorists who insisted infant love, quote unquote, behavior was only a conditioned response to being fed. The baby monkey sculpted the milk as quickly as possible and then jumped back onto the soft mama, clutching her, stroking her and nuzzling her. And some dickhead with a clipboard went, mm, that's interesting. Hey, do you know why he wanted to do all these experiments? Why? Well, he was a workaholic and an alcoholic. <laughs> his first wife divorced him <laughs> and his second one died. And he wanted to know how he could make his depression <laughs> seem like nothing in comparison to these little monkeys. Yeah, he wanted to figure out how to fix his own fucking depression. So he tortured animals. Aww. I mean, fuck you, dude. Yeah. Did you fix yourself? Bet you didn't. Yeah, but here we are talking about it. Yeah. Well, you know, the 60s, which our parents, our parents grew up during the 60s. Our aunts, my mother's sisters, have talked about how you weren't supposed to nurse your baby. You're supposed to do formula. It was recommended by the doctors. On page 100, there's a paragraph about that. Yeah. It says that doctors, let's see, when was this? Doctors put down their cigarettes Yeah. <laughs> for a second to recommend. Yeah, so mid-century. Doctors warned parents in general, mothers especially, not to be too doting or physically affectionate with their newborns or children, lest the coddled youth become lazy, spoiled, and overly emotional. Kind of damaged motherfuckers were these people. Um, yeah, so... Yeah, I, I think like formula was like, you know, what's in formula. You don't know what's in breast milk, right? Like, <laughs> right. You, you know exactly what? how much they're getting. Sugar, how much sugar they're getting, how much like yeah. processed. It's crazy. You to know, think. I think they just passed a law recently that limits the amount of lead that you can have in baby food. Oh, my God. Not a joke. Um, can we move on to Mark Ruffalo? Oh, God. So she, she finds I another. Like you do? No, I don't actually. <laughs> I like that she doesn't get too hung up on him. She meets this mountain man. How does he, she meet he's him? He's a poet. He's a poet who gets into bar fights. And he's, he's hilarious. He's like, he, he manages to push everyone who might come anywhere near him away. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she fucks him anyway. And it sounds like this is more the kind of the fling that she was that she was hoping for. And, you know, he even gives her a gift at the end. Is it one of his poems? Barbara. Oh, no, no, it's a knife. It's a knife. <laughs> um, you know, no, he's a good segue into the rest of her story. I was fine with this guy. She's he a seems, loner. He's a loner. Dottie, he's yes. a rebel. But it does go into her next Next, after hanging with that dude for a little while. She um, meets Moriel Zelikowski, mm-hmm. um, who studies circuits in the brain in order to help people who are suffering. What she finds is that the consequences of social isolation can create violence and aggression. Hello, incels. And also paranoia. Hello, old people. Whoa. But she she's describing a potential anti-loneliness drug. Yeah. If you are continuing to show fear responses when it's no longer appropriate you're kind of limiting your other adaptive behaviors such as finding mates finding food things like that and she's talking
talking about people who spend a lot of time at the edges of an environment rather than the, in the center. Similar to students who are nervous in a, uh, in a class sitting in the back row or hiding in the bathroom, which was me. I know, Barbara, I underlined this thinking about you. And But you know what, Vera, after that experience, later that school year is I've told the story about the group of boys and a couple girls who harassed me harassed me to the point where they put up posters all over school that I had to go we went and took down and stuff so yeah I mean I don't think it, it's a leap to see that I spent so much time by myself in college you know I threw myself into studying yeah I had some bad experience like some bad sexual assault yeah. shit happen yeah. Yeah. and yeah, I don't know. I'm going down the dark. Why path, did Why did the they put up the posters because you rejected this one guy, right? I mean, I get, I, I guess, but it's like I, I rejected a bunch of guys actually. You know, like I accepted their attention until it was scary or boring or smelled bad. And then they all got together and did the posters. Yeah, I mean, there's a there are girls involved too. I don't I don't know Vera because I kind of like put put my head in the in the ground. I didn't ask for details. I didn't talk to people about it. I didn't get. I was just, I just accepted, like, these people are mad at me, you yeah. know? I don't want, I didn't want to know details. Yeah, it was a weird thing. I think it was, like, we were in 10th grade, we were new, these people were a little bit older, they had a friend group already, and when we kind of fucked up their social hierarchy or whatever, I don't know what was going on there. Yeah, because why were the girls into it? I, I don't know if you're, it's, it's like that packing order bullshit. Yeah. I don't know, it's I mean, like I- mob mentality, too. When I look back, though, I think, at least one of them, I, I know, because I went over to his house it was sad he had a sad existence you know he did smell bad his bedroom was disgusting you know he was neglected and and smoked a lot of pot you know so, so he took the anger out on you yeah I mean it's it's understandable it's not un, it's not acceptable but it's understandable that there's probably some broken homes that um I mean they're all punk rock kids yeah shit was going down you're watching me play with my sock I am you just sort of like uh just kind of snapped For your emphasis. sock yeah you did a uh <laughs> sock reaction shot yeah I, I yeah. don't know hold on I have uh Oh, depression. I just have written down depression. Um, primatologist Harry Harlow was depressed, so he made animals depressed that so was he could try and solve depression. That was my story about the, the monkeys, the little monkeys. Yeah. The definition of depression, is it according to him, results from social separation when the subject loses something of significance, has nothing with which to replace that loss, and is incapable of altering the predicament by its own actions. Mm-hmm. Studies have shown that clinging infants help and dogs help. Yes. Don't we have a friend, I'm not going to call her out, who was sad about a heartbreak and she got a dog and it's, she is like a different person. Yes. She exudes confidence. And also one change leads to another. Now she's a blonde. We were talking about this last night when we went out for Drinky Winks, Mm -hmm. just about like how beautiful she is. And it's because we were talking about Hinge. Yeah. And I, you know, I said I got rid of it. Oh, yeah. She told me I saw her the other day and she said, yeah, I was on it for one day. Yeah. But she like it's triggering for her. It's bringing up all these feelings. She and our other friend were just talking about like how smart and beautiful she is. And like, but she was like, she was a ninja, you know, like (laughs) just deflecting (laughs) that. Can't get a compliment in. I know every photo we take of her. She does like this beaver thing with her teeth. (laughs) Lady, you know who you are. You know who you are. God damn it. Stop doing it. Should we move on? Yeah. Chapter so, nine, your cells are listening. There, and when you talk about wanting to go to Aruba, all of a sudden you're getting Google ads for it. Your cells are listening. Hi, this is Barbara Ann Duffy from the hit podcast Dating Ladies. Sometimes when I'm editing these podcast episodes, I hear a joke that Vera tells kind of for the first time. And the fact that Vera just said that you're talking about going to Aruba and then the ads pop up because your cells are listening. And it's kind of like maybe my most favorite joke I've ever heard in the entire world. 
And Vera, if you're listening to this, I just want you to know you're a brilliant twinny and just, you're so funny and, and I really like this joke. So I'm just, I'm apologizing for this and also for every other time you've told a really good joke and it's just like gone right over my head. I, I love you, twinny. The end of chapter eight is that in, in addition to changing our behavior, how we feel around each other affects our physical health at a cellular level. I just wrote, uh-oh. <laughs> Here's something, the strongest factors determining the speed to AIDS and death. This is a study in the mid-1990s about why some people were suffering from AIDS faster than others. Like how HIV would progress into AIDS. They found were sensitivity to social rejection and whether or not the patients were public about their sexuality. So talking mostly about, you know, gay men. The people who didn't come out of the closet died, had more dieds. Because you have the pressure of hiding yourself on top of everything else. So there's stress levels. It's sensitive, as I said, sensitivity to social rejection. It made me very sad. Also shy men. What? Oh, shy men suffered more. Chronic loneliness increases the risk of early death by 26%, similar to being obese or smoking. I talked a little bit at the end of our last podcast about what changed my social life. And I'm going to say it again. Be giving to other people is a good way to start. Yes. It's a really good way to start. If you don't know how to be social, if you're afraid of being rejected, do something where you're doing it for someone else. It changes your brain. And then you're also seeing other people and meeting other people. And changes happen slowly. Yeah. I don't think, like growing up, stress was not just accepted as like a physical change in your body. It was like emotions and you can control your emotions, right? Like I never was, got the impression that my stress levels were valid. Mm. It was like me being cranky or me being like unable to. Like you're doing this to yourself or something? Yeah. Or like just change some behavior and your stress will go away. But understanding that you're actually, your body's producing chemicals that are, that are hurting you. There's a little bit about inflammation. We've all heard that stress influences our immune systems. No, I didn't hear that growing up (laughs) at all. When we are under threat, neurotransmitters like norepinephron wrote that norepinephrine cause our bodies to direct resources where they're needed. Our heart rate, blood pressure, and respiration increase well. Things like digestion, fertility, and ability to fight diseases fall off. Quick side note, have we talked about the unsexiest sex in the world? What kind of sex is the unsexiest sex? Late in life baby making sex. It, it is... <laughs> It is, like, I, I, I love comparing stories with my mom friends about how unsexy fertility sex is. It's stressful. It's stressful. It's sad. It's like it happens at the wrong times of the day. Like there's nothing about it. Like, yeah, it's hilarious. I'd much rather have someone jizz into a Petri dish and me have eggs sucked out, you know, with a keep talking with a vacuum cleaner you know what i mean like that is more comfortable than than trying to have sex to make a baby well i think the stress levels of trying to get it right in many cases i'm sure i've okay everybody's heard the whole thing like (laughs) you're gonna get pregnant when you're not even trying which is true for a lot of people i guess i don't know (laughs) no it is it is i've heard 12 billion stories about well you know it was when we're on vacation or whatever i for me anyway the stress of trying to time getting pregnant i am i am 
certain that it negated everything I was doing. Like for me, if someone had said, your body produces certain chemicals that will actually make this impossible, I think I would have taken it more seriously. Yeah. But the way I was going about it was just like, well, I'm just going to try not to think about things. And then that's how I'll control my... But you know, it's not like that. It's not... What if you don't have a choice though? We were very lucky that we had the choice of finding a good fertility doctor. Yours, I mean, we had the same doctor. He gave you special treatment clearly (laughs) since you have triplets. But um, when I realized that I wasn't getting pregnant the way I wanted to, the stress level was going up. My options seemed fewer. If I didn't have the money to do like the full on... Oh, it's privilege. It is. The full on IVF, you just, it's like this deep, dark pit that you fall into. It was so unnatural, you know, like trying to force something that wasn't going to happen. And then the more stressed I got, the less it was going to happen. So I watched you go through all that. And when it came time for me to, um, after I'd tried fucking like supplements, changing everything that I put near or on my, or in my body. Yeah. And also acupuncture, cupping, all that. Did I completely skipped the like less expensive treatments. And fucking good for you, Barbara. And went straight to the like, very, 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 very expensive. Yeah, I did not even consider going for the, and I know I've told this story before, it was only possible because I'd been hired at a new job that gave me the resources to do this. Yeah. For me though, if it was, I don't know how much money more I spend on this treatment worth every penny because if I had gone through, I mean, I hadn't even gone through any failed things. It's just like, I, and, and it was just like, it was just straight up motherfucking monetary privilege. Uh, yeah, it like, really was. So let's, can we end on a kind of a happy note? <laughs> no. Um, she, so she meets this guy, Steve Cole, who she talks to. He studies genomes, which are, a genome is an organism's complete set of DNA. This guy, Steve, was contacted by a psychologist, John Cacciopo, mm-hmm, who asked him to expand his genomics work in a far more common and mundane population um, to look at lonely people. And then he died. He did die. Did you want to say something? <laughs> yeah, just that he died. No. Cole says, it shouldn't be surprising that our immune systems become implicated when we are emotionally crushed. This is one of the hidden landmines of human existence, he tells her. Uh, And this is coming from a man who had spent years studying AIDS and cancer. If you can't get through heartbreak, if it continues to pummel your self-esteem and ability to interact meaningfully with others, you're in trouble. Being a functioning uh, relational person depends on morale and enthusiasm and sparkle. And if you can't muster that, we now know it's a death spiral. Yeah. Death spiral. The words reverberated through my rental car. What the hell are we supposed to do? I asked. And he, he says, don't be heartbroken forever. <laughs> well, it's, it's, that's what you got to do is not <sighs> do that thing. It kind of reminds me of like, to mention Amy again, I was... Someone asked me how I was doing and I just like opened up and at the end of it, uh, this person just looks at me and goes, choose to be happy. Fuck. It's like you're fucking, fuck, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, shut fuck the fuck, the fuck up. Fuck I cannot you, believe fuck I just, asshole, fuck, fucking, fuck, fuck you. Fuck you. In you know the what? nose. Yeah. Unless you like that kind of stuff and then fuck you in the ear. Unless you like that too. <laughs> you know what I mean? Then don't fuck you at all. Ever. No. Nope. You never get and fucked never again. again. Never again. Never again. No. Nope. nope. Fuck Mm-mm. you. No. Unfuck you. Unfuck you. I think that's a good note to end on. Yeah. Okay. Bye-bye. Hi, this is Barbara Ann Duffy from the hit podcast, Dating Ladies. I do still want to remind you guys that we love getting reviews. And thank you to my neighbors for giving us recent 
five-star reviews. Much appreciated. But how about everybody else now? Uh, Just go on over to wherever you listen to your podcasts on uh, your iPhone. It's going to be the podcast uh, app. Other places, not so sure. But um, if you can give us our five-star review and a written review, it will help us reach more people. And it would make us, it would be very fulfilling and kind to share your kind, fulfilling feedback with us so that more people can be kindly fulfilled. Thank you for listening. Bye.